The internet is an ocean that we invent as we explore it. In the murky darkness of virtual places, there could be dragons, shagoths, leviathans. Certainly I have heard voices on the web who say we will discover or build a god when we reach the cyber ocean floor. People claim to remember past lives, I claim to remember a different, very different present life. The psychotic drones, where the mystic swims, they're drowning. Hello and welcome back to the Astral Flight Simulation Podcast, where we navigate the digital world through art and culture. And today I bring yet another very special guest, Mr. Oren McIntyre. I'm sure you know and love him well. Uh, Mr. McIntyre, uh, introduce yourself real quick and we will uh, we'll get right down to business. Yeah, man. Thanks. Uh, you know, I've been doing uh, YouTube for a few years now, and so I've got that channel I do a lot of videos on political theory, uh, live streams, and uh, uh, kind of news of the day stuff, and then interviews with guests. And then a lot of people know me from Twitter. I kind of started doing that to shield the YouTube channel, and then that got way bigger. So now uh, a lot of people know me from that. So that's mainly what I do. Yeah, I was going to ask you, do you do you feel like you are a, uh, like a, a podcast or YouTube host who has a Twitter as like an advertising space, or do you feel like you're a, a, a Twitter account who has a YouTube channel? Well, it certainly started out the first way, right? It was definitely the, the former. And uh, I still think of myself that way. Like that's still, that was my intent. Like it was never, <clears throat> I never thought of Twitter as like the thing I was going to do or something I was going to, you know, be successful at. But obviously like at some point when you've got triple the amount of, followers on twitter than you do youtube then people know you as like one thing a lot you know so it's uh it's been weird i i still put i feel like i put more energy into youtube uh but but obviously the i think twitter is what most people know me from at this point yeah i know what you mean and i i haven't been following you from the very beginning although i don't think you had that many, when did your show come out on youtube not that long ago, like I said, it was, it was about two years ago, and you know it was it was not very big for for a while. It's it's gotten to a decent size now. Got a good good audience now, but um, it was it was like I said, it was not. Uh, it's not like I've had a big channel for a long time or something. Yeah, I was I was around from pretty close to the beginning. I remember you only had a few episodes, but I wanted to tell you before we got into our topic today that um, when I really like took note of you and started following you and got interested was when you did an episode on uh, the Prudentialist with, about Spengler. And I, I contacted him like pretty soon afterwards. And I, I only kind of peripherally knew who, who you guys were at the time. But I had just read Spengler, uh, the Decline of the West, Volume 1 and 2. And I contacted him and said, dude, you know, I've been like really into Spengler lately. And you guys did easily the best discussion of him I've seen on the Internet at all. Um, there's not too much stuff out there even to this day about Spengler, but you guys did an excellent job um, covering it. And that me, me contacting him and, and just giving him that compliment and you that compliment actually led me to my first appearance ever because he invited me on his show to do part two because you guys only did part one. Um, so I should link to that actually on my blog. Um, and I think I think Spengler, I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this before I uh, get there on my own. 
I think Spengler actually factors a little bit into the discussion I want to have with you because uh, Elon Musk buying Twitter has been in the news lately. And I, I had an episode about him up on my page, but I, I took it down for unrelated reasons where I kind of talked about, I, I, I want to say I speculated, but at this point, I, I don't even feel like it's speculation. I feel like it's pretty obvious that this is a, a power move and a power grab uh, with pretty pretty uh, obvious, or if you want to even say naked intentions. Uh, do you agree with that, with the, 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 the purchase of Twitter here? It's really interesting because a lot of people ask, like, is Musk based? Right? Like, is, is this really a significant move? Is this just one an, another billionaire acquiring something? Like, is it really that big a deal? And there's a lot of speculation on like how kind of deep Musk's roots go and w- what he really believes and how where he's really going next. I will say that a lot of the noises he makes are good, but then some of them like his interest in ending an anonymity on Twitter, which he's said multiple times and, and done again recently are concerning, but either way, even if it's simply inter elite competition between like factions at the moment, that's still, I think good for us because if, even if Musk is not like, you know, on the dissident right or whatever he, which I don't think, I don't think he is at all. Uh, he is clearly someone who has a different vision of the future and which which has very different uh, social outlines. I don't think he's I don't think he's really one of them, even if he's not like one of us. And so I still think that his move is valuable, obviously controlling a major propaganda organ and kind of cracking that that monopoly that the left has on social media and speech could be. Uh, a sign that he's planning on more or moving in a bigger direction. But even if he's not, even if it's simply just, you know, that like that inner elite competition, I think that's still a positive move in the right direction. Well, okay. I, I do too, but whether or not you think it's positive, do you think that he, see, my opinion is that Bezos is pretty happy where he sits right now. He doesn't seem to be terribly ambitious um, he owns the Washington Post and he raked in a lot of money because of the pandemic. And of course, the Washington Post was one of the big, biggest trumpeters of the, the pandemic, uh, you know, protocols and stuff. So who knows if that's a coincidence or not. Whereas uh, Musk has been making a lot of moves. His, his, his career has been pretty storied and he's got a lot. Uh, there, he's always he's always seems to be in the news. There always seems to be a big move that he makes from you know when when they sold paypal to he started spacex and all the way down through the last 20 years and i'm wondering if this looks like whether or not you think it's a good thing which i do think it's an unambiguous good thing even if it's not like everything uh people who are opposed to the left we want it's still a good thing um it looks to me like he's like building momentum towards more power or more not not just more fame or money you know what i mean like like because Twitter is the tool that Donald Trump used to like captivate the masses to to get into the White House. So to me, it looks like an unamb- unambiguous move towards some sort of greater form of power, whatever that may look like. Well, it's very clear. And, you know, he said this directly, but it's obviously that's not a purely financial move for him. Right. Like it's not something that just in- increases his portfolio or 
or enriches his situation. And so it's clearly looking for something else. He's not just there for the cash. He's not just there uh, for the financial benefit. So he clearly is interested in something. Um, I don't think you make that kind of move to just bail out the Babylon B, right? Like, I think you're right that it makes sense that that's going somewhere. One of the interesting things is that guys like Bezos, they don't have to worry too much because like the whole network is on their side, right? So like they don't have to own every piece of the power because they can kind of reliably expect other, you know, nodes in the cathedral to kind of align with them on most things and handle a lot of the the load share. And so they don't like have to own the entire apparatus to make things happen. Guys like Musk or Thiel, they kind of do, right? Like if they want to do that, they need a clear line from like where where they are to where they want to be. And they have to kind of secure every step along the way because the system will fight them. So is this a step in a direction to kind of to move that where you're clearly not working to financial gain, but you're working towards a bigger step? It, it would make sense. That would that would I'm not sure that's where he is yet. But even if it isn't a conscious move in that direction, which it very well could be, it's kind of subliminal move in that direction. It's kind of it's kind of a move that makes sense. And it might draw him down that path, even if it's not his current plan. That's an excellent analysis. And I like that that analysis is somewhat uh, somewhat aloof or somewhat, you know, neutral, politically neutral, because uh, people are so tied up emotionally with Trump um, and people are tied up emotionally what happens politically. Um, but but to take a, a, a sort of a distance, a distant estimation of the situation is probably the best way to go. What now? Um, you're right that this is sort of in keeping with the way the cathedral works. Of course, that's evocative of Moldbug, a guy I meant to mention in the beginning. Me and you both appeared. Well, he appeared on my show and you appeared on um, Pete Canone's show. Uh, it used to be like the, the something by beyond the wall, his show. It's a good show. Um in the last week, actually, uh, we mm-hmm. were both both talking to him. So I think that's great. And I think, you know, on my show, he may have said this with you guys. I don't remember. But on my show, he even just sort of casually threw out the name of Elon Musk as someone to look to toward towards for the future uh, of where, um, you know, the power struggles going on right now, where they may uh, how they may play out. And I recorded with him back in February. So this wasn't this wasn't on the table at the time. Anyway, but where I'm going with that was uh, we're pretty f- clearly, firmly within the the parameters of a, of a pretty standard oligarchy right now. We got these big time players who do have a hand in politics, who seem to be um, happy being behind the scenes. Maybe, you know, not so much behind the scenes in the sense that people don't know who they are. They're not the shadowy cabal. But at the same time, it's not like they're in the White House or in the Senate making making decisions and things like that. Um, but to to look at the way both Spengler and Moldbug says things will play out, Curtis Yarvin says things will play out. Uh, the cycles of history supposedly do move towards that. They do move towards these guys with uh, lots of money taking over politics and, and basically becoming the unquestioned authority and, and sort of doing away with politics. Uh, and Moldbug thinks that's a good thing, or at least if it, if it plays out in the way his model were, were to work, because he says it sort of um, disintegrates and dissolves the tension between factions. Uh, and he's one of the things he says a lot is that it um, that they don't rule for one party, they rule for everyone. 
Um, one thing I dislike, I, I think too much of the talk on Twitter, especially like in the trad cat circles, focuses on collapse and they focus on uh, they focus on um, the collapse of institutions. They focus on the collapse of supply chains. I think that's a little bit too. I don't know. I, I think that talk is a little bit too unfounded. Uh, I like to be a little bit more measured. But do you see things playing out? I mean, do you think it's realistic to see things playing out sometime in the next, I don't know, two, three decades that politics as we know it could 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 end or could take on a totally different look like we could move uh, purely into a pure oligarchic phase or we could even move beyond that into a pure tyrannical phase? Um, well, I think, um, you know, like you're saying, Spangler predicts that every society, once it moves into kind of its late civilizational phase, ends up in this position where it's the rule of money, right? Like it's that the, the rule of the oligarchs, the rule of money, that that's what takes over. And whether you're talking about Moldbug or uh, Spangler, they both predict that like basically Caesarism is what is what kind of arrests the society out of this slide right in, into oligarchy. And so for different reasons and from different directions, both men kind of make the same prediction on, on what does this. Because, again, if you look through the cycles of history, it's not really a mystery about how, how this works. Right. Like once the, the age of heroes is kind of done and we move into the age of money and, and businessmen and oligarchs, then the only thing that moves us back, you know, is kind of that that cesarean figure. I think, I think you're right that sometimes people kind of uh, fetishize the collapse type thing too hard, but I think there's also a misunderstanding of like what collapse looks like, and this is something that uh, Malkin Kuhn's talks about, which I agree with. He says everyone hears collapse and they think like. Oh, you know, this is a post-apocalyptic, you know, Mad Max. People are, you know, firing, you know, flamethrowers at each other, trying to, you know, get the next next tank of gasoline. But really, what collapse looks like is just a devolution into third world status, right? What it really looks looks like is just the, you know, out and out corruption, out and out, uh, you know, destruction of infrastructure, the kind of a collapse of. A standard of living, you know, Russia did this, right? Like there, there, we know what this looks like, right? There's, there's, there's a modern example, not that far off where your, your, uh, you know, uh, your standard of living, your, your life expectancy drops like 20 years out of nowhere. Right. And so th this is, this is not some weird, you know, theory of the future apocalypse. This is something we have like within living memory that has happened to like major civilizational powers, and the idea that that could happen to the U.S. seems really far flung for people. But honestly, I don't think it is like and I think it's pretty clear that's where we're heading with supply chain, supply chain disruption, all that kind of thing. I, I think that's where we're heading. And you can see the calls for Caesar already. You can see the way people react to Trump. Look at look at Twitter after Elon came on. Look how many people are King Elon, you know, Caesar Elon. Right. People are desperate for this stuff. Like people laugh jokingly. They're like, oh, monarchy. OK. But I mean, really, I mean, look around like it's not that hard to see the outlines like it's a meme now. But is it a meme in 10 years when you, you can't get a job? And it's really hard to find like medical care or like replacement parts for your car. It takes you a year to get like, you know, new parts for your car. Will it, will it seem crazy then? Probably not so much. So I think it's, I think it's a little closer than people think it is. Yeah, that's very well said. And it's, 
not a controversy at all that we've been on a pretty precipitous decline for good 20, 25 years. Um, and I guess it could uh, it could end in collapse soon. Um, we could come to a, a point where there's a, a point of no return has been reached. Yeah, one of the first things that I think you need to explain, uh, you know, the proverbial you, when uh, trying to introduce Spengler's ideas to someone who's never read him before is that uh, decline for him it is looks like stasis um, decline the institutions there there doesn't have to be institutional collapse for there to be cultural decline mm -hmm. uh, and a, a decadent phase can go on for a long time so i don't know how long ours can go on for now i know you're very familiar with Moldblog. i don't know how familiar with nick land you are but um both of those guys, in my opinion, probably the two biggest figures of the last 20 years in terms of biggest in this, not in this necessarily the most popular, they, they are that as well. Biggest in the sense that uh, their estimation of where things are going or where things could go, where things need to go, they're, they're probably the two uh, most spot on, the, the two most uh, right on, in my opinion. Do you, um, and the reason I want to ask you this, and that this is the original thing I wanted to talk to you about, but uh, all this Elon Musk stuff came up. But the original thing I wanted to ask you is, do you think that uh, their ideas, and just to package them neatly and easily and concisely, is just called the neo-reaction acceleration, right acceleration. Do you think their ideas still hold, A, any like cultural relevancy um, uh, on the right, uh, right of center, and B, do you do you think that they um, that they're panning out? And it sounds like you already kind of answered the second one that 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 uh, what Moldbug predicted or said needs to happen. We're sort of already still on that path. Um, he is a pretty optimistic guy, and, and he he seems to think that we are, and that the things are still playing out the way uh, he hoped that they would. Um, but I wonder I wonder what you think about that. And uh, you know, I have a few more things to add, but I'd like to hear your response first. Sure. So I think that um, land is correctly labeled as right uh, acceleration. I don't think that's true of Moldbug. Um, I don't think Moldbug's an acceleration. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I yeah. meant the two separately. Yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. So so I think the important thing to understand is like the delineation there. So like we have like reactionaries um, and those are the people who actually like want to return to a more traditional way of life. And then we have like neo-reactionaries and that's Moldbug where Moldbug like understands and agrees with like the reactionary views on like power and maybe some social structures, but Moldbug doesn't, I didn't, you know, I'm not to speak for Curtis, you've had him on. So obviously like, you know, he can speak for himself, but I, I would say that from what, from what I've read of Curtis and, and, and as I understand him, uh, he isn't so much interested in returning to like a truly reactionary way of life. Right? Like he, he basically is, is kind of okay with most of liberalism as long as we can get rid of kind of key pieces, right? Like he, he's kind of on board with like people just kind of morally degenerated to a certain point and now they have to be ruled by a King, but otherwise he's kind of, he, he's kind of okay with modernity. Like he's not actually opposing modernity. And then like land is a very special case because land is truly, I think land, land is really essential to understand neo reaction. Cause he kind of takes it to the next level. He takes the implications of, of Yarvin's work and kind of turns them to 11. And uh, when you talk about lands accelerationism, I think, one of the things I've, I've, you know, when I first read Land, I was very skeptical. I was like, nah, the more I, I look at Nick Land, the more I realize he was right about a disturbing number of things. Um, and one of those things is the process of acceleration. 
Um, but I don't think the problem is that when you talk about land, people confuse the process of acceleration with like the political strategy of acceleration. And I think the first one is absolutely correct and spot on in its predictions, as terrifying as that is. But I don't think the strategy is. And by the way, neither does Land, because when Land explained accelerationism, he specifically said, like, you can't do anything to speed it up. Like, basically, like, the, 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 the hyper acceleration of the capitalist's uh, process basically is its own destruction. Like it's the only, it's its own thing that will eat itself alive faster than anything else. And there's really nothing you can do to speed up that process. So people who are like, well, I have an accelerationist strategy or I'm an accelerationist. Uh, that's not really the point, right? Like they're, they're like it, it, it's already eating itself. And so there's not really any, you don't need to be an accelerationist. Acceleration is just what's happening. That's perfectly well said. Um, yeah, I, I look at it as sort of a stoic perspective, and it made me, makes me think about Taoism in a way. If you read, you know, the Tao Te Ching, part of it says, like, you need to center yourself while the, the maelstrom of the world kind of increases in fury around you, because if you try to act, you're just going to add to it or, or it's going to or it's going to eat you alive. Um, and I, I don't know if he had that in his mind, but that's that's how I understand it, acceleration. But I've been I've been working on this and I've been wanting to I wanted to ask you in particular because I've heard you talk about it a fair amount on different podcasts and everything. So to me, as I've been watching things play out, I'm I'm like just like as the months go by, I'm just like, man, it's like Curtis Yarvin is all over this. Nick Land is all over this. Like it, it's like reaffirms my my sort of uh, throwing my lot in with their ideas. Um. But at the same time, as I as I participate in the online milieu, it seems to me that uh, most of the right is getting farther and farther away from them as figures for various reasons. Now, we're recording this on April 27th. It's probably not going to be released right away. Uh, but just to, to give an idea, the Vanity Fair piece just came out last week in um, uh, excuse me, the Vanity Fair piece on the new right. And it focused quite heavily on Moldbug. And that caused uh, quite a stir online. I'm sure you saw it. Uh, mm. People denouncing him. And honestly, I've seen people denouncing him the whole time I've been online. Um, and the factionalism on the right, uh, certainly it, it's not a uh, it's it's a big tent, but uh, everybody's kind of off in their own little corner in that big tent. And it looks to me like they're not all at Yarvin's table. Um, I firmly am. It sounds like you are to an extent. And whatever, you know, I'm not in any way trying to stir the pot, but I do wonder if you notice that 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 people are kind of drifting away from him, whereas I feel like I don't know, maybe I'm misperceiving things. I felt like in 2017, 18 and 19, it was like all I kept hearing was Yarvin, Yarvin, Yarvin. And it's like whenever he made an appearance anywhere, everybody was like, oh, here he is. Um, so that's part of the reason why actually I wanted to focus my show on acceleration and, and neo reaction for a little while and have several episodes on this because I, I think it needs to be kind of enunciated and delineated and um, maybe retrieved in a way, although it, 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 of course, has its own legs too. And it's, uh, it's, I mean, it just was in Vanity Fair. So I wonder if you've seen these things I'm, I'm seeing too. And yeah, definitely. No, the, um, 
NRX is uh, what's the uh, it was the Mark Twain quote like uh, you know reports of my demise have been greatly exaggerated or something like that. Yeah, like, absolutely. Like the the thing about NRX is it's always dead, and then suddenly it's always relevant again. So like you know people are like you know near reaction didn't didn't that die in like 2010? Like wasn't wasn't that over after Moldbug stopped his blog and no one cared about it anymore? And then like the first wave of kind of NRX YouTubers hit the scene. Uh, like 2015 I want to say and then like it people in like the Trump White House were reading it and so it got like a revival in 20 like 15 16 17 and then it was supposed to be dead again and then like the second wave NRX YouTubers like me started coming in a couple years ago and then all I ever heard was NRX isn't that dead like isn't everyone done with that and then like everything Curtis Yarvin predicted became very clear and were, was obviously true during like uh, the, the 2020 election. And then it was dead again. And now we're back in 2022 and look who's in the news, you know, and it, look who's on Tucker Carlson. Right. So it's one of those things where everyone keeps predicting its demise and everyone's ready to move on to it. And I think here's the reason why I think the reason people are so quick to do this is a couple of reasons. One Neo reaction is not like a formal political science. It's not like a, it doesn't have a canon written down in a tome. You can't do a course on it in university. So it's not thought of as like a a branch of political theory, the way that other ones are. And so it's mostly a loose collection of blogs. And because of that, like Yarvin is as much a political pundit from day to day as he is a political theorist. And this is true of many different NRX thinkers. And so because NRX is a political theory that also like co-evolved with things like streaming and daily news updates and things like that, when someone like Yarvin or Land or me, for instance, like makes a bad call, people are like, oh, that's it. It's over. That's the end of NRX. They were wrong about that. It's done, right? Pretending like one bad take about like COVID or Ukraine or whatever just discounts the entire political theory attached to that person. And that's a big mistake. And it's understandable because like I said, you don't, it's not a separate, like no one's got a doctorate here. No one's got a chair at Harvard. Like no, like, so it's hard to differentiate the like, political theorist serious you know uh, side from like kind of a wise cracking blogger or guy you know firing off you know memes on twitter like there's no there's no like hard line between the theory and then like the kind of the day-to-day political guerrilla stuff and so because of that i think it's easier for people to like see a bad take or see something that they missed and just pretend like it's over and it's time to move on. But the same thing, I've, I've had this discussion a million times with guys in my my circles on, on YouTube and stuff. We always hear like, oh, it's time to move beyond Yarvin. We've learned everything there is to learn from Yarvin. There's nothing more to learn from NRX. And then they go back to making exactly the same mistakes and doing exactly the stuff that like they were supposed to learn not to do from Yarvin. And then that fails. And then where do they end right back? <laughs> back, right back to where we started over and over again. Yeah, I think that's great. And I totally agree. And, um, you know, I've been around peripherally for a while, but I I didn't like really put myself out there um, until a couple of years ago. And it was really like the NRX guys that drew me in to the whole scene. Like I, I had known who Yarvin was. I, I told this before, but for a while. And um, it was I just kept like the more I read him and the more I talked to people online who read him, like the more online I became and the more I got involved. So I'm, I'm happy to see that like 
there's this whole thriving community. Um, and another thing about my show is that I'm, I'm trying to, and a lot of people are doing this as well. I'm trying to give, you know, the microphone to people who are, who either understand these things really, really well, such as yourself, although people uh, also people who are creating things like you with your show. And then, um, um, the, 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 the element of the creation of art. Um, and it's something that he emphasized a lot and something he said was going to be very important is creating culture and people who are making visual art online, geo, obviously zero and his fiction. Um, so it's a, it's a great thriving community. And I do think that all of that is sort of in the mix, but now to go back to something you said before, something that I think, uh, is very important that I've, I've basically given up trying to explain um, or at least I, I've given up trying to convince people of this. Um, and I wonder where you're at, uh, because at the beginning of the show today with me now, you said that um, Elon Musk kind of isn't everything. He isn't necessarily all that. And he isn't like necessarily 100 percent our guy, which for me is fine. I don't really care <laughs> because my you know, if you look at Rome during the time of Julius Caesar and Augustus, um, if you look at, well, that's probably a bad example. We'll stick with Rome. Uh, it's not like the place uh, when, when, when like everyone uh, got their 40 acres and a mule all of a sudden. Uh, no, in fact, the, the old Republicans were really decrying some of his, uh, some of his policies, like uh, bringing the grain and giving free grain out uh, to the citizens of Rome because they said it was going to sort of like, make them uh, less ambitious and it was going to, it was going to kill their drive to like, you know, be great. And it sounds, you know, Cicero, for example, sounds exactly like your, your average uh, anti-welfare uh, politician here. And I think that um, while they have a point, I think that if some sort of Caesar figure does emerge, uh, we'll, we can even use Trump as an example, he's not going to make everyone happy and he's not going to make decisions that necessarily, uh, lift all boats. He's not going to necessarily turn us back into a gleaming city on the, on the hill. He's a not going to make everyone happy. And B, uh, there there will be a certain, in my opinion, um, uh, downgrading in either the quality of life or the quality of uh, morals. Um, you know, Caesar, Julius Caesar himself was de derided also by the the elders for being, you know, wearing his toga in a different way uh, in the newest fashion of the kids and stuff like that. Where And Trump as well was kind of this uh, this this sort of like, you know, player grabbing by the pussy. Uh, what do you think about that? Do you do you think um, well, what, what, do you, what is your opinion on that? Well, I think you don't get to pick your great man. Right. Like that's what makes exactly. Them, yeah. It's what makes exactly. them who they are. And by the way, they don't get to pick themselves either. A lot of times, um, you know, uh, I think that you need someone made of a certain stuff and with a certain position and a certain ambition, but you also need like the right forces in the right time. Like Caesar wasn't the first guy to try to do what he did. He was just the first guy to do it and like keep his head at least, you know, for a while. And so, it's not that, you know, no one else had had the idea to do what he was doing. It's that he was in the right time and place along with those other things about him. Right. And so do you necessarily get someone who is everything you want them to be? No. And do they necessarily bring you to 
a better life. Like that's something people need to understand too. Caesar doesn't necessarily solve all your problems. He, he offers stability in a time of, of tumult. He doesn't necessarily come in, you know, you might not even get red Caesar, you know, Stalin was a Caesar too. Right. And so you need to understand that like, just because we're going to go through an age of Caesarism very likely does not mean it's going to be the one you want it to be. You of course prefer it would. And I think there's, there's nothing wrong with hoping for that and maybe working towards it, but also understanding that there's no guarantee that like you just get the guy that, you know, the God emperor that ushers in the based, uh, you know, civilization. Um, Chances are that actually won't be how things go. Uh, You know, Augustus is a, is kind of an aberration, right? Like he leaves Rome marble, but that doesn't mean see, most Caesars do. In fact, most, most Caesars, pro, you know, uh, preside over basically stasis, like you're talking about, um, and that that's kind of their function. So uh, people who are loading all of their hopes into like a rebirth of the American Empire through Red Caesar, I think, um, don't really understand kind of how that cycle works. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to just make clarify something i said um there is a rejuvenation and a reinvigoration of like a civic spirit and civic nationalism under a caesar of course uh rome flourished greatly for hundreds of years after the the ushering in of the caesars but uh at the same time rome itself the city kind of turned into somewhat of a, a cesspit in a way and people uh you know remember rome for being the the city of uh, bread and circuses um and those types of things eventually wore away at the empire. But anyway, yeah, that no, excellently well said. Um, and the way I look at like the different factions on the right, like it was hard for me to to watch after Trump got banned and, and Bronze Age pervert got taken off Twitter and, you know, Musk, please reinstate both of them and bring them back. It was kind of hard for me to watch things sort of fall apart and break into different factions. Um, some people who know me and close to me watch me go through a couple meltdowns because I'm like, why are you guys falling apart? But anyway, the point I want to make, though, is that um, if I try to, like, play it out, you know, the way it went in Rome to in America, it's almost like the trad cats uh, on the one side and the, the other, those who shall not be named, the, the anime avatars and others. It's almost like they're the different cults who are sort of... Uh, arguing for the right perspective and of course you know the caesar they're vying for power right but then the caesar figure comes along and allows sort of all of them to do their own thing in peace which i guess is sometimes the best you can hope for mm-hmm. um now so uh tonight our time is somewhat limited so maybe we can start drawing to a close i'm wondering like i i i hesitate i, I hesitate with this question because it's almost ridiculous to talk about but where do you see like standard politics, like boring politics in America going in 2022 and 2024? I, I mean, I don't know if it's reasonable to think Musk is going to like suddenly be our God emperor in 2024. Um, and I don't I'm not really like a sports ball political guy and I don't really have much. I don't put much stock in mainstream politics, but I have some optimism that uh, the left hopefully maybe has overplayed their hand and has pushed people pretty damn far over the last two years. And it's going to continue to do so on many fronts. Um, And I'm hoping that there's some sort of a reaction. A lot of people are saying there's going to be a red wave in 2000, uh, excuse me, 2022 and Republicans are going to take the house. 
And uh, who knows? You know, Trump is is the, the word on the street is Trump is running in 2024 and he's still got a pretty big base. I mean, the MAGA fanatics, they're still out there. Um, would you care to, I don't know, speculate or in any way discuss w- anything like that? We think that might go. Yeah, I think you will get a red wave in 2022. I think that's fairly obvious. Like Biden's a disaster. His poll numbers are, you know, limbo bar low. I mean, it, there's presidents who are popular still see an opposing party victory in the legislature in uh, off years. And so he's certainly you're certainly going to see the Republicans probably take both houses. Um, I would be surprised if they don't. The problem is that'll be a disaster um, for the Republicans, which they don't know, I guess, but it will be because what's going to happen is then they'll own the Biden failures, right? Like it'll be like, well, the Republicans took over and look, whatever you want to say about the Republicans and their new breed of whoever's coming in, no one has solutions for what's going on right now. None of them know how to solve the supply chain crisis. None of them know how to get inflation under the control. None of them know how to like gut the institutions and return the rule of law to things like the FBI or the Department of Education or any of that stuff. None of them know how to, and even if they did, they're too much of cowards to do it. And so what they're just going to end up doing is owning the Biden collapse once they take over in 2022, which will clear the runway for whoever is going to run in that place. What's really going to happen is you're going to see if Trump makes it, you know, to, to 2024, if people are smart, they'll just get out of his way. Uh, you can say whatever you want about the new breed of Republicans, but boomers are still going to run that election. You think so? And boomers love Trump. They love him. They can't get enough of him. He's their guy. Um, the the like the mainstream people, they still love Trump. Every bit of it. Like they're they're like you you know. There's buzz about people like DeSantis, and I think DeSantis is great. Uh, but like, if he, DeSantis is smart, he'll sit 2024 out. Like the dumbest thing he could do is go head to head with Trump. So if Trump is still able to run a campaign by 2024. And these people are like, you know, well over the standard, you know, life expectancy. So let's not pretend that like everyone here is immortal. But assuming that like he's still able to operate a campaign in 2024, uh, I see him him running it, you know, running for it. And I don't think Democrats are dumb enough to put anyone new up. So it'll probably be either Biden or Harris who just kind of like gets steamrolled by that energy. But again, that just means that Trump feeds their machine and and builds their energy i think again not to dump on trump like i'm not like he did a very important things he energized people who thought like things were over he he awoke a lot of people to what was broken in the system i'm not here to like dump on trump but like he just made himself it made it very clear he's not the guy and so i think putting him back in the white house is just pretty much all upside for the left at this point. Uh, not that that, you know, I, I don't think electoral politics is the solution in any way. So I don't think it would have mattered, but, but I think that that'll be the natural kind of ebb and flow of things. Yeah. I, I basically agree with you, except I have to ask, I don't think the GOP is going to let him get on the ticket. I think he's going to have to go third party. What do you think of that? I think the GOP would commit suicide if they did that. Oh yeah, they, they would. I'm not saying that they, aren't capable of it but if they try to like jam a nikki haley or something right. in 2024 while trump wants to run then that's kind of the end of right-wing politics or you know conservative yeah politics i think in america i think they're over 
I think they're over, but I, it's, it's a dramatic prediction to make. So I'm hesitant to make dramatic predictions, but you know, the, the 2016 election itself was, was pretty dramatic. And then the 2020 election, depending on what you believe happened also was pretty dramatic. I mean, I mean, even if you believe the standard narrative, I meant, and this is something I wanted to bring up to you, by the way, uh, even if you believe the mainstream standard narrative that this was a, a sweeping historic victory on the part of Biden, um, nevertheless, Trump contesting it uh, was itself, if not historic, it was a pretty big deal. Uh, but but the way they deplatformed him, though, is like unfucking believable. And I, I really don't think they would do something like that and then just allow him to waltz back on. I mean, the guy can't he can't get on TV anymore. He 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 got into the White House on Twitter and Fox News appearances, really. Um, mm. And he's not allowed on either anymore. And I don't think they're going to change that. And, he, and 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 it, Musk buying Twitter. I mean, God, I think I think it's anybody's bet. But but I really don't see how they could let him back on. I think I think it would be like them not learning from their mistake. And I think we already have proof that they learned from their mistake by doing a total media blackout on him. But I don't know. It sounds like you disagree. I think it's a conversation that needs to happen, you know, over the next two years. Uh, I like what you said about the boomers. So you think there's still a, a cultural force that is that strong, huh? Yeah, they still all hold all the all the keys to power um, that will change in the next, you know, uh, five to 10 years, obviously, like just, you know, uh, 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 the demographically, like, obviously, like as, the, as they all move on, like there's just, you know, that will have to slip to the next generation, yeah. but they, they will, they, the, the boomers have been very clear that they will hold on to power till their last literal dying breath. Yeah. And so I, I think that because they still determine elections and very much so the fate of the Republican party, uh, they will still drive it. And don't forget, like Trump still has a lot of cachet in like the 40 something Republican demographic too. like he still has a, like his name recognition is basically uh, untouchable. Right. Like Q yeah. rating is pretty much everything with the casual poli- political crowd. And he has it up the wazoo. So uh, as much as like people with inside baseball or extremely online politics might look at like, I don't know. Blake Masters or something and think like that's what's happening in politics right now. It's not. Trump is what's happening in politics right yeah. now still. Oh, I'm glad you brought him up because I was going to bring him up too. You read the Vanity Fair article, I presume. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember the end where they said uh, he gave a, a talk or, or, or a speech or whatever, and the entire crowd just kind of sat there with their arms folded and they were like, you know, say the line. So you're going to drain the swamp or they wanted to hear all the Trump one liners. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and kind of yawn through his, his, uh, talk there. So, yeah, like you're saying, like that Vanity Fair article, um, had, I think a very interesting impact. Uh, it's a lot of people have had a lot of different reactions to it. Obviously there've been a lot of people who are like, oh, you know, uh, you know, Yarvin's not based enough or whatever coming out of that article and whatever, like, yeah, I mean, you didn't know, you know, who Car- Curtis Yarvin was at this point. Like, I, I think he's been very clear about who he was. But I, I, the, the more interesting thing that I watched with the Vanity Fair article is kind of like the impact it's had on kind of the uh, constellation of people mentioned in it, because they kind of grabbed a lot of very uh, loose threads and tried to pull them together in that Vanity Fair article. And it's really interesting who they chose and who they didn't. 
a lot of people are treating that Vanity Fair article. They're saying, oh, it's actually pretty good. It's pretty good. And the reason is really simple. They didn't call them all fascists, right? Yeah, like that's, yeah. That, that's the big thing everyone's shocked about. Everything up to this point that's been written about Yarvin and the new right and all these people has been decrying them as like a dangerous, evil force of like white supremacy or whatever, right? And so the thing that shocked everybody about the Vanity Fair article, and I think most of the subjects of that Vanity Fair article, is it seemed almost fair, right? Like it was still kind of negative like it's it's a mainstream article you expect that but like it didn't go to the wall to denounce everybody it kind of explained them as relatively like understandable people who like have ideas that are growing and that shocked a lot of people and they kind of i think received that in a positive way but i think there's also some danger in that because like what you have to understand about that article is like regime journalists don't write things because they like you like they don't write things like that because they're your friends right like you don't get a piece like that because they're warming up to you you get a piece like that because they're trying to define you and i think that's really interesting because like i said it was very interesting on who was included uh, very they included some people who weren't even right wing in there as part of it much to the interesting thing because like some of those people are melting down for being lumped in with the right wing. like who i'd rather not name names just just out of courtesy i'm friendly with some people fair but enough, just fair enough but but just uh, you can see like different parts of this basically you let the regime media define your coalition for you publicly and that kind of draws the lines for who's in and who's out and where it's going and what it's doing and so i think it's just something people need to be careful about like just yes like these people are on the rise yes that is good that like some of these things have to be taken seriously, but you just have to be very careful about seeking validation from people in the regime media, like especially a place like Vanity Fair, like no one there is on your side. No one there is actually interested in what you're doing. No one there is trying to like make you look good, validate you, trying to bring you a good face to the, to the public. That's not the intention. And so if that's not the intention, you have to ask yourself, why does a piece like that get written? And, and so I think that's just something that's important for people to keep in mind. Don't trust journalists. I was a journalist. Listen, listen to me. Don't trust journalists. Okay. Like that, that's my message, I guess. It's just like people need to be very careful when they see a piece like that. And they're like, oh, this is positive towards me. Or, or the fact that it's not extremely negative means we're winning. It's like, mm, think about that. Like, just, just think about it is all I'm saying. Yeah, no, that, that's a great point. And I, I remembered my question that I wanted to ask you. And uh, this it can be tied very easily into what you just said. Um, I wanted to ask you about the post left and we'll get back to that specifically in a minute, but before we get there, um, they did talk about some people in that article that are post left. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the other thing about that article is they it definitely tried to make these people seem hip and cool. Um, and uh, there was some, there was one scene and I, I, I had never heard of this young lady before, a uh, young lady in New York City, and it kind of talked about her being like in the scene, uh, up in the fashion scene, and of course we know others people who are uh, pretty pretty embroiled in New York City culture, um, and they they have been on the red carpet and things like that. Uh, part of the problem is, and and you're kind of saying this that sort of takes the edge off these people who were once maybe uh, uh, outside the mainstream, and they kind of had this like sex appeal for being dangerous or being um, sacrilegious 
and an article like that sort of sort of does i don't i'm not quite as pessimistic as you are about it um i think it's possible for this type of thing to exist without totally like deracinating uh the people and the movement that that they're talking about but i do I do think there is something there. Uh, is that kind of what you mean about the way it sort of uh, turns it into this like so, this kind of sexy, glamorous, hip thing that like more and more people are going to want to be a part of and and dilute it? I mean, he even talked about like there being these like sort of groupies, like these young frat boys who hang around these figures and stuff. Well, I think that some of that is inevitable. Like, I think it is true that there is like a raw and dissident energy around kind of what's going on there and i think there is like a legitimate energy there and i'm not here to like dunk on that or douse that or say like i think that's good i think that's positive i think that's inevitable because like our culture is just so gross and and sclerotic and and all this stuff that like it does make sense that like this underground movement of people with different ideas coalescing around like a new energy would have that. So I'm not decrying any of that at all, to be clear. What what I'm saying is that you just need to be careful about looking at for people like Moldbug spend a lot of time explaining the danger of accepting your enemy's frame right? Don't step into your enemy's frame. Don't assume that what they tell you about yourself is true, right? And I think that's good advice. And it doesn't just work when they're saying negative things about you. Like, yes, don't just step into their frame when they're calling you a fascist or whatever. Don't just step into your frame when they want you to inhabit this archetype that makes you look bad and makes you the villain. But also be careful about stepping into your enemy's frame when you think they're trying to say something positive about, about you, just make sure you know who you are and where you wanted to go and who your friends are uh, when you're doing it. I don't, I'm not trying to say at all for a moment that any of these people are like losing their edge or losing their, their loyalty or any of that. I'm not saying any of that. No, of course. Of I'm course. just, I'm just saying, stay away. Remember who you remember what you've said about the media before. Yeah. Just just remember your own lessons right. about the media and who these people are and what they want and what their function is. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Well, Milius is one of my favorite people of all time. And I can't mm -hmm. believe we get to like hang out with her, you know, in scare quotes, because this is all online. But she on, on the episode she did with me, which is available on my blog for those listening. Um, she kind of made a joke. We talk about that that article before it came out. And she kind of made a joke that the the um the the author who she seemed really friendly with in the article she kind of made a joke that he was like a wannabe hunter s thompson which i think is funny to think about the article in that way because it goes nowhere close i mean he does do a really good job actually of fairly presenting to us moldbug's arguments uh and and blake masters platform and jd vance too he makes jd vance look good um which i was happy about but um he 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 doesn't really achieve like the true gonzo journalism thing and mm -hmm. man i i hope you agree i think i think you have to agree that i do think something like that could really work with these people because with this crowd because they are such personalities i mean they're not just affable and ridiculously intelligent but they're they're funny and quirky and um extremely creative uh reading reading um i'd like to hear what you think about this you're a science fiction guy right i think i heard you talking yeah, yeah, about yeah, that yeah, yeah. Um, reading Moldbug's work, and I've been reading it really intensely over the last two years. Um, 
eventually started to dawn on me. I'm like, you know what, man, this guy's like having a lot of fun. And, and he's putting a lot of his like science fiction chops into what he's saying. And he made it a point when he was with me to be like this, everything I'm saying, cause I called it science fiction. He was like, everything I'm saying is possible though. You know, all the technology that exists, excuse me, that I, that, yeah, all the technology that I'm writing about exists now. And one of the things that makes me realize is that like our culture just isn't living up to its potential. You know, there's all this stuff lying around that nobody's like picking up and using in like cool, new, creative ways. And I feel like these are the people to do it, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's it's definitely the case that you look around, you look at the endless iterations of movies, you look at the the sludge that's just piping through Netflix and this kind of thing. You look at all the people in our pop culture are just the safest uh, human beings alive, like I look at things like metal music and all the, you go to a metal show and all the people there are like talking about your pronouns, right? Like everyone is just so soft and so careful and, and there's every edge has been filed off even by things that used to be defined as edge. So in an, in a environment like that, how could people like Moldbug or, or, or Milnes, how could they not shine bright, right? How could they do anything else? How could someone like BAP not set things on fire, right? right. Like it went, when, when everything, else is so dull and gray and lifeless and shapeless how could these people not stand out and draw people to them so that's why i said like i think there is a real energy there like and it should be harnessed it should be understood you should realize and you're right that like there will be young hungry journalists who look at that and they want to be the gateway that people understand it through just like you know your your uh, hunter s thompson's or your your tom wolf's were in the last generation, like though there will be people who want to do that. And I'm not saying like eschew those people like that will happen, that that transfer of energy will occur. And that's OK. I think that we just like I said, you just want to you just want to remember that these people are still coming from the enemy camp, even when you're talking to them, like just just remember that. Remember that. But I do think it is a very real thing that like there's a reason people are hungry for culture. They're hungry, hungry for something different, something that truly changes things. And I think uh, that the, the people you're talking about, they are truly different people. They draw people to them for a reason. They're talking about ideas and going places no one else will go. And that does draw the right attention. Man, you know what? That's awesome and inspiring. And it's going to be the perfect place to end this. Uh, time is, uh, we don't have all the time in the world tonight, unfortunately. I hope you enjoyed yourself and you'll come back though, because there's like so much I had to leave out I want to talk to you about. I, I hope that guys like me and you are starting down the path of what you're describing here, that we're like giving a microphone to these people. And, um, you know, while they do their work, we're here to sort of uh, give them an outlet to express themselves or to to let their work shine um, um, and an alternative to the the mainstream that would like, you know, clearly just want to shit all over or completely ignore uh, these people that we admire so much. So uh, I'm really happy that you came on came on and um, um, your perspective on your reaction and accelerationism is exactly what I was looking for um, because I'll be working on that's kind of a project of mine to to deliver it and, and bring people on who who are into that stuff. So I'll give you the last word. This is the Astro Flight Simulation shine, signing off with Oren McIntyre. Uh, I don't know if you have any, you know, what's your favorite metal band or what's your favorite 
sci-fi what do, what do you have in the future you want us to look up uh, anything to uh, take us home uh let's see um i'm a big power metal guy that's my my personal favorite um i, I like of course things like iron maiden um uh but then i also really love uh striper uh which nice. you know a lot of people uh, uh laugh at but that's a band i really enjoy uh for people who want to know like what's coming up uh if you want to check out my stuff i actually do have a video on nick land and accelerationism so if people want to get like a basic primer on what accelerationism actually is what that theory means and and other you know near reaction theories i do a lot of different uh primers on kind of like introducing and boiling down those concepts so you can find all that stuff on on my youtube channel or on mcintyre i've also got rumble and odyssey if people uh, want to use alt tech platforms uh, so you can find uh, the channel there and, uh, you know, just just hoping to continue to add to that in, in 2022. Good, man. Well, I'll link to it in the show and um, I'm not going to try to be too bothersome, but I'd love to have you back to uh, do a part two. But until then, uh, be well and thank you again so much. Yeah, man. Been a pleasure. Thanks for having me.